0: All of It is supported by Mejuri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Mejuri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Mejuri.com slash All of It or use code ALL OF IT for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash All of It.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
2: A key tenet of our criminal justice system states that defendants are innocent until proven guilty, but just how they're proven guilty, the methods used by law enforcement to solve crimes, and are often seriously flawed, inconsistent, sometimes outdated, and even unethical. A new Netflix docuseries focuses on three elements that often lead to wrongful conviction, faulty science, unreliable witnesses, and overzealous prosecutors. And it follows the work of The Innocence Project, founded in 1992 by lawyers Barry Scheck and Peter Newfeld, to exonerate individuals wrongly imprisoned. Titled Innocence Files, the series is a collaboration between The Innocence Project and executive producers Alex Gibney, Roger Ross Williams, and Liz Garbus, among others. Each episode looks at a different case taken up by The Innocence Project, cases that illustrate serious problems within our criminal justice system. The Innocence Files premieres on Netflix tomorrow. We're joined now by Academy Award-winning director Roger Ross Williams. Hi, Roger.
1: Hi, how are you?
2: Doing well. And also, Barry Sheck, co-founder of The Innocence Project and consulting executive on the series. Hi, Barry. Thanks for being with us.
3: Thank you so much, Alice.
2: So, Barry, you must have been approached before to do something like this. Why now?
3: (laughs) Well, it actually started four years ago. We were lucky enough uh, to get... One of these personal phone calls from Ari Emanuel, and it was around the time that, you know, making of a murderer and the staircase and people that I know very well were doing those, and he just said, look, you know, it's time uh, to do a deep dive, and if you stick with us we'll get you the the best possible place for documentaries, which is Netflix. Um, You know, the people there, Adam Del Deo, this whole group, they really uh, know who the great filmmakers are. And uh, with them, we were lucky enough to get, you know, Roger, uh, Liz Garbus, Alex Gibney, and uh, they bought into the concept of doing something in-depth, I mean, each of the filmmakers had, you know, more than three hours to look at prosecutorial misconduct, eyewitness misidentification, and junk science, particularly focusing on bite marks. And while I say that each of those uh, subjects are explored in, you know, great stories with amazing characters, inspirational exonerees, people harmed by the crime that go into it, but. You know, every one of these things also involves other causes of wrongful conviction, uh, including the most intractable of all race, which is at the bottom of so much and is so brilliant about what Roger did in, in his docs.
2: So, Barry, when you, when you were talking about this and, and in your role as a consultant, what was something that was a hard no? We're not doing it this way. It can't be done this way. And what was something that was an absolute must happen?
3: God, hard nose. Uh, it's hard for me to remember. You know, it was really hard. Allison was dealing with the lawyers. It was always easy to deal with the talent, the filmmakers. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the the Netflix contracts, those are tough. Uh, and and to be. You know frank that was it was hard to get everybody together mm. uh you know sort of on the same page and have a an overall organization to it uh, but uh you know I can't really say there was a hard no about any particular project uh you know that we wanted done
2: What was something that had to happen for it to be successful in your mind?
3: Well, we had to get the deep dive we had to have really great filmmakers um, we had to have compelling stories, and we had to get in-depth on them. And we actually had to involve um, lots of people uh, from the Innocence Network. You have to understand that the Innocence Project is really more like a headquarters, and uh, we have 56 organizations within the United States and 13 abroad. And uh, so many of the episodes deal with uh, uh, our colleagues uh, at other Innocence organizations across the country.
2: Roger, let me bring you in here. You directed the first three episodes, and you have such a wide range of of work. You did a documentary recently about the Apollo and a film about when you were on our show most recently about restoring the harbors and a (laughs) film called God Loves Uganda about evangelicals trying to introduce religion into Uganda. Uh, Where does this fit in for you in terms of of the kind of work you want to do and the kind of stories you want to tell?
1: Yeah, um yeah. well, you know, I have been a, a, a fan, I can call it a fan, but I've been a fan of the work of the Innocence Project for uh, many, many years. And for me, the work that Barry and Peter and, and everyone there are doing, I mean, these, they're, they're, they're heroes. Um, I'm African-American. Uh, my community, my family, my friends have been infect, uh, affected by the mass incarceration crisis in America, and it's very personal to me and what really for me focusing on um this story in Mississippi of these two convicted men and, and how the role that race played in in their conviction and in this community that is um sort of been destroyed by the legacy of slavery and um going down there was devastating it was devastating to talk to these families and the uh, the pain and uh, how it's just, just torn these families apart so as a as a black man this is a how could i not tell this story and how could i not make this um this of uh, these three episodes
2: you're really clever in many of the shots of telegraphing the story of race there's one i'm thinking of very particular that you're in someone's home and there's just this lingering shot of a shot glass which is a confederate yeah. shot glass and it just yeah. sort of lets you know who this person is and and what they're really Invested in, I guess, is is the way <laughs> to
1: describe it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Dr. Michael West, and he is, you know, he's a, he's a um, a dentist who uh, probably has put away many, many, many um, African-American men with his testimony. He, when we went to see him, he put his gun on the table, he's in a room surrounded by Confederate flags, and he compares himself to a Confederate statue, and he's like, they're trying to take down the Confederate statues and erase history, and they're trying to erase what I did. He's been completely discredited, and he, you know, I mean, as a documentarian, he's a um, pretty incredible character. I'm sure Barry would agree <laughs> no question
2: so what we're talking about here in this these two particular cases, the Brooks and the Brewer cases, is the introduction of bite marks as this incredible evidence as making sort of making the case for these prosecutors So Barry, why is bite mark analysis particularly controversial?
3: Well, you know it's not. Uh, to say it's particularly controversial, not among scientists. Um, <laughs> what's frightening is that it, you know it was never validated scientifically, and yet it gets into this echo chamber in the court system where you know it's admitted. Then all of a sudden, it becomes a staple, and a and a guy like Michael West, who shines a blue light on you know a mark and says, indeed and without doubt, uh, you know this is a bite mark from uh, uh, any particular defendant that they ask him to, uh, uh, you know, say, may be implicated in the crime. Um, And, you know, all these studies have been done showing that they can't even identify whether somebody, whether it's a bite mark or not. Um, when they first started doing, you know, efforts at validation, and it's still going on. But what's really uh, most upsetting of all is that even though all the scientific organizations, you know, since the National Academy of Science report in 2009 and, uh, you know, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, everybody has been looking at it, the president's science advisors all said, oh, my God, this is not validated. It's junk. Um, you know, we're still trying to go back and find case case after case after case because, um, you know, still we don't have too many uh, clear rulings one way or the you know, getting this out of court. It's, it's scary that it's still knocking yeah. around.
2: My guests are Barry Schick yeah. and Roger Ross Williams were talking about The Innocence Files, which debuts on Netflix. So Roger, let's back up a little bit <coughs> and end, get people up to speed on these episodes that you directed. That this junk science put two innocent males in jail from the same community in Mississippi. Could you tell my listeners about the crimes that Kennedy Brewer and Levon Brooks were accused of?
1: Yes. um, LaVon Brooks was accused of uh, raping and murdering a three-year-old girl, um, Courtney Smith. Uh, And two years later, Kennedy Brewer was accused of raping and murdering a three-year-old girl, Christine Jackson. Uh, The crimes were very similar. They both were convicted from bite mark evidence uh, under the testimony of Dr. Michael West we talked about earlier uh i think it was kennedy brewer who wrote the letter to the innocence project um he had been in uh 16 years uh in prison and that letter um they get thousands of letters and that letter um Captured their attention. Uh, I think it was DNA evidence. There was DNA evidence that um, got him exonerated, and they went back and looked at Levon's case. And Levon was—they um, they, there was a—they they sort of found through DNA. Uh, a match with um the actual guy who committed the murders who committed the murders of both girls, and Levon was um exonerated and it 's incredible you know i mean for a filmmaker that moment after someone who spent you know a large part of their life in prison, that moment when they are free when they are released from prison, there's nothing that prepares you emotionally for that moment. And, and uh, it makes for absolutely compelling. Um, and and you, there's no way you can not watch this and be enraged and, um, and, and moved by the work that, you know, Barry and Peter and all of the Innocence Project are, are doing.
2: I want our listeners to get a sense, get a load of Dr. West and, and, and what he's about. He's the forensic dentist who testified in these cases that these bite marks absolutely matched. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of one of the interviews with this Dr. West.
4: When I was active in death investigation, we used the state of the art the best that we had at the time. To come back 20 or 25 years later and criticize us for it, ridiculous. It's our job to be controversial. If you don't like the way I do it, get up off your dead ass, go to the morgue every weekend, spend it with 15 or 20 dead babies, come out of there without being a fruitcake. I'm just the messenger who collects the evidence and brings it to the jury. And if somewhere down the road, some new scientific method comes out and says, this man is innocent, we can open the door and let him out.
2: That was from the Innocence Files. So, Barry, you know, bite marks aren't the only sort of evidence that has come into question. Arson analysis has been a big issue. I remember I did a story with the Innocence Project of Texas for a woman named Sonia, who uh, spent a long time in prison based on some faulty arson analysis. Um, But for a while, some of this, I guess people believed it was good, hard science, the folks who are not necessarily like Dr. West. What do we do in those cases? How does the Innocence Project handle it when they get something that is someone who is, you know, perhaps really thought they were doing the right
3: thing? Eventually, uh, the people that are acting in good faith, and I wouldn't necessarily put Dr. West in no. that category. By the way, uh, uh, you know they begin to realize, well, you know, there's new science, and we can't validate what we've been doing. Um, you know, the, the arson is a very good example. You know, we had the Cameron Todd Willingham case, where mm-hmm. there's a man that was executed who was innocent uh, based on uh, junk. You know, on a, 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 an analysis of arson science that was just witchcraft, it was junk. And uh, we've been lucky enough at the Innocence Project to help bring about the creation of the Texas Forensic Science Commission. Um, And that commission made a finding that the arson evidence in the Willingham case was unreliable, um, which was a, a breakthrough moment, and we have real science, fire scientists that have, you know, putting forth standards uh, there uh, on bite marks. The Texas Forensic Science Commission and the Stephen Cheney case, which comes up in the uh, in the docs, um, you know, also made a finding that bite mark evidence, uh, uh, you know, was unreliable and not validated, and uh, you know it's limited; it shouldn't be used. Um, you know, and we, but yet we don't have decisions like that across the country. So there's bite marks, there's arson where we have all these junk science cases. Uh, microscopic hair comparison. Uh, thank God, at least we have DNA evidence that you can use on the shaft of the hairs to correct some of those cases. But you know, we even got the Justice Department to go and look and do an analysis of those cases, um, that the FBI did and the, uh, error rates were, were staggering. Uh, you know, you can look at, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of pattern evidence that it's overstated, whether it's ballistics comparisons, um, where there have to be more studies done to give the jury a real understanding mm-hmm. of, uh, what you can and cannot say about the, uh, probative value of that evidence. Um, uh, I could go on and on, you know, we are, uh, In 2009, the National Academy of Sciences was very clear saying that DNA evidence was the only scientifically validated uh, assay, and we had to go back to the drawing board and looking at all of them. We had a commission on forensic science that was created, but when the Trump administration got in, they abolished it. Um, And we still don't have what we need um, in terms of support. Uh, you know, for the the, the real scientific community uh, to help validate a lot of these assays. We, lots of people in good faith are in motion, but we need the real commitment. And, you know, by the way, you know, we, we are living in times where all we hear from our public officials is follow the science and follow the data. And that's all we are asking now in the criminal justice system when it comes to these unvalidated assays. We need technical merit. We need validated science. Follow the science and follow the data.
2: Roger, Dr. West seemed very, very willing to talk to you repeatedly. Why?
1: (laughs) I think he loves the spotlight. He loves. Attention, I. You know, he's made many, many videos and appeared on um, talk shows. And uh, this is a guy who's not shy about, you know, being in the media. And so, when we gave him an opportunity to to tell his side of the story, his deep hatred of the Innocence Project, it, it, he jumped. He was fine. He he. He is not someone who's, who wants to sort of fade into the background. He wants to try to remain, you know, relevant, even though he's, he's no longer relevant and has been discredited. Uh, so, you know, someone like that is easy to uh, convince to be in a documentary.
2: My guests are Roger Ross Williams and Barry Sheck. We're talking about The Innocence Files on Netflix. We'll continue our conversation after a real quick break. This is all of it. This is all of it. My guests are Roger Ross Williams and Barry Sheck. We're talking about the Innocence Files, which Dave views on Netflix tomorrow. Of course, Barry is the co founder of the Innocence Project, and Roger is one of the executive producers and directors of the first three episodes. Uh, Barry, the first um, three episodes are about evidence, the next three are about witnesses, the final three are about prosecution. Why are these the three most important aspects to evaluate?
3: Well, I wouldn't even say they're the three most important. I mean, you know, we could go on and talk about, uh, you know, you asked me before, what was the hard no, right? Mm -hmm. The hard no is they wouldn't guarantee a next season. That's why everybody should watch this (laughs) (laughs) so we get a next season because, you know, there are so many problems uh, that lead to wrongful convictions. That you know you can't do them all, and not only that, when you begin to look at the problems with eyewitness misidentification uh, that Liz Garbus goes into um, in the uh, the second series, or prosecutorial misconduct that Alex Gibney and his colleagues go to in the last episode, you still see all these other factors at play. There's bad eyewitness identifications. There's misconduct in all the cases, uh, and there's the overarching problem of race. It's everywhere. So it's never any one thing but you know when we start looking at these issues uh uh because of this system of mass incarceration and all the innocents in prison you know it's 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 shocking so uh, you know it's it's always a systemic problem even when you can focus on key factors so uh, i'm sorry to push back on what is <laughs> are they the most important uh, they're very important but you have to look at the whole system every time.
2: Well, what would uh, season two have in it, or season three? I mean, when you talk about that these aren't necessarily the most important, which is totally fine, but what are the other ones that you would love to have in season two and three that you would love people to think about?
3: I mean, you know, some of the the heartbreaking ones, uh, we have problems with uh, what are known as shaken baby abusive head trauma. Uh, you know, there are uh, miscarriages of justice there uh, that are complex scientific problems. Um, and only through the kind of deep dive that Netflix is permitting us to do can we get to the bottom of those problems. And, you know, just, I'm just throwing that one out because recently I was on the phone uh, with a, a lawyer from France, where the situation is scandalous. He's got like three hundred families that were wrong. Then in Japan. Uh you know, we already know about false confessions. We could certainly, you know, be looking at that. Uh police misconduct. There are systemic things going on in terms of police misconduct that, you know, we really would want to look at. Uh jailhouse informants, I mean, there are so many of these problems within the system, but what's really been a privilege to work with a filmmaker like Roger um, who as you pointed out has such a great eye and such a wonderful feel for story Um, and Liz and Alex Gibney you know uh, if we can get these really great filmmakers uh, like them, again, looking at more of this and telling these stories uh, in a way where you can do a deep dive and try to get to the bottom of a lot of these things. I think it will do an enormous amount uh, to uh, springboard reform throughout the criminal justice system. I mean, we have 56 organizations in this country alone, Uh, you know. Working on these issues every day, we have passed more than 224 laws on a state level, not to mention acts in Congress. Um, there is so much to do here; uh, I, I can't even start.
2: Roger, <laughs> as you were as you were working on this project, you know, no matter how well you prepare and how much pre-production you do, there's always something that comes down the road that really surprises you, or or. Shakes you or knocks you off a little bit and you have to reevaluate what was it in these first three episodes and about these two cases? What was that thing that you just had to sit down and reevaluate and think about?
1: Um, I had to you know for me Someone who comes from a a community that is um, devastated by mass incarceration crisis in America, Um, uh, but I come from you know the Philadelphia, the North, and when I went down to Mississippi, and. I think it was the first day I um, I was filming with the family of Kennedy Brewer, and they were playing cards, and there was a barbecue, and they were they were doing line dances, and and I started to talk to them, and they and one of them said to me, "White people make the laws, and we're just trying to steer clear of them," and that to me was so sad and so shocking. And I felt like this whole community was so disenfranchised and and disconnected and lost their sort of the, what they what the American dream was supposed to be about or was and, and the the legacy of slavery was hanging so thick in the air, um, it shook me, and it saddened me, and it just made me think that more than ever I have to tell compelling stories that that Basically wakes America up to what is going on in our criminal justice system, and and we but but we also have to deal with the um, the cause, the underlying issue of of racism and the legacy of slavery. That's that's across all of these cases. Mm -hmm. So it was um it was a very sort of sobering moment for me.
2: What did you learn about evidence that you didn't know before?
1: Ooh, I mean, I learned a lot. I didn't. (laughs) I mean, I had no knowledge at all of of all the different types of junk science uh you know i i w- i would also you know watch csi and i believed all that stuff and i i, I think that you know prosecutors and, and public defender they call it the the csi effect it's uh it's and and i think that juries expect that because they're also the watch these shows, and they think this stuff is real. So it was an eye-opener for me to learn about this. But but again, for me, it was about the story. It was about putting it into the context of real situations, and real people, and real lives, and real loss to families. And the way when someone is wrongfully convicted, it tears the community and the family apart. And that devastation is just, it's, it's, it's just, just horrible to, to see.
2: My guests are Roger Ross Williams, the director, and Barry Sheck, co-founder of The Innocence Project. We're talking about the new Netflix series, The Innocence Files witness testimony, Barry. What are some ki- common issues with witness testimony that you've seen in your work?
3: Well, this was one of the things that uh, became immediately apparent. Uh, the number of exonerations uh, in our cases with DNA, just to start with, um, where innocent People were convicted by eyewitnesses that pointed and said, that's the man, uh, you know, no doubt in my mind. And, you know, what really is ironic is that uh, uh, we have all these great uh, Reforms that were really invented by experimental psychologists over the last 30 years um, that really teach us how to minimize error in eyewitness cases. Warnings that you give a witness: We're going to show you pictures or uh, people, and uh, if you don't identify the person uh, that you know committed this crime or you believe committed this crime, don't worry; the investigation will continue. Just saying that reduces erroneous uh, identifications by more than 20%. You know, and that's been known for more than 25 years, yet we could not get those reforms into the jurisprudence or into the courtrooms or as standard practice in policing. And, uh, uh, you know, so we've been able to achieve a lot of those reforms. One thing I hope people feel uh, when they watch uh, uh, these episodes uh, on eyewitness identification uh, is that When the witness gets in the courtroom and points at somebody and says, yes, that's the man, right, no doubt about it, from the witness stand, scientifically, that is the least probative form of evidence, and it shouldn't even be allowed, because who else are you going to pick? The defendant right there in the courtroom. We know from the science that uh, the first identification procedure is the most important. You have to give the proper warnings. You have to avoid giving confirming feedback to the witness, yeah, that's the person. Uh, You have to be able to have a fair photo array or a fair lineup um, and then capture the witness's confidence at the time of the identification in the witness's own words. That's the only time that certainty uh, uh, can be a factor that correlates with reliability after give confirming feedback, uh, the certainty statement is ridiculous, and the least probative thing is the most dramatic moment that you see in all the movies and in real courtrooms where the witness says, that's the person. Uh, That's very misleading to a jury, in a sense, because uh, uh, that has scientifically really no probative value. You have to look at the initial identification and how that came about, as well as other factors having to do with the ability of a witness to make an identification. So, you know, so many of these cases. You know, I mean, what people don't even realize, which is shocking, is that when you look at archival research, you, the, one third of the times that an eyewitness uh, in a stranger case is looking uh, at a photo array or a lineup, they pick a filler, meaning one third of the time they're picking mm. the wrong person. Right? Uh, Somebody that we know uh, couldn't have committed the crime. That's why they're in the lineup or their picture is there as a filler, as we call it. So, you know, uh, an eyewitness identification is a memory test that's problematic in the first place, and we know a lot about how to make it more reliable, and we should take every step to do that, systemic factors, uh, we call it, uh, system factors that are within the control of law enforcement. We've made a lot of progress in this area. There's more to be done, but that has just inherently always been uh, one of the leading causes of wrongful convictions.
2: The final uh, episodes in the series deal with prosecutor, prosecutorial misconduct, and it takes place in Philadelphia. Now, Roger, I heard you say you were from Philly? Uh,
1: I'm from Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania. Near Philly. My family's D- from Philly.
2: Did you know about the, this prosecutor, Roger King?
1: No, I did not. I, 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 you know, I mean, you know, Alex is such an extraordinary filmmaker who really delves into um, these stories of injustice, and uh, and he just and it was just fascinating. But I did not know the story.
2: What did you think about your after watching it? Oh, Being someone that is from your area, this is this is your backyard.
1: This is my backyard, and you know, growing. <laughs> Growing up in Philly, you know, I grew up in the age of um, move and um, a lot of sort of, you know, kind of racially uh, divisive moments in Philadelphia. And, it's, and, uh, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why, why I left th- uh, that area because it was, you know, and so it, this was very familiar to me. I mean, you know, my family, um, uh, many of them are either behind bars or have been behind bars. And have been sort of, you know, victims to this. So it was uh, a pretty sobering and familiar thing.
2: Barry, can you describe former prosecutor Roger King from Philadelphia?
3: Well, he was a, a hard charging African American prosecutor um, and. Uh, uh, he, 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 he wanted to get a conviction, uh, uh, you know, at, at any cause. He was a very effective uh, and dramatic trial lawyer. But what really is, uh, I think, the take-home message uh, uh, from that whole episode is, you know, uh, Larry Krasner was elected DA mm-hmm. on a very progressive uh, platform and is fearless, uh, and he put in charge of his conviction integrity u- w- unit a woman named Patricia Cummings, who we at the Innocence Project know well. She had run a Conviction Integrity Unit in Dallas, Um, and she really is, you know, uh, just about the best that you can get uh, in that kind of position. And Conviction Integrity Units, um, when they're good, uh, are really great institutions. It's a non-adversarial search for the truth in a post-conviction way. Uh, You see in this episode how the defense lawyer and the Conviction Integrity Unit work hand-in-hand in doing a reinvestigation of the case. Um, uh, and it's uh, uh, you know it's one of the really great things that I think has come out of uh, the innocence movement uh, that we have all these progressive prosecutors that are getting into office and trying to do these conviction integrity units um, in the right way so we can learn a lot more about uh, what's wrong uh, with the criminal justice system and how we can correct a lot of these injustices.
2: I think anybody with a pulse who watches this series will become sad, will become angry during parts of it, and I can imagine would want to do something. Barry, what is something people can do if they watch the series and they are horrified by what they see?
3: Well, one thing that they can do right away, uh, Kennedy Brewer, um, who, you know, was on death row and uh, thankfully was not executed, (laughs) was exonerated, he recently had a stroke So if people go to the Innocence Project uh, uh, page, they'll be able to... Uh, get a link to a GoFundMe for Kennedy Brewer who, you know, really needs help right now. Uh, And there's uh, uh, so many things people can do you. We have 56 organizations, as I said, within the Innocence Network. Uh, You know, go find the people within your jurisdiction that are doing this work. Uh, You know, uh, you can get involved in campaigns to change laws. Uh, You can get involved in campaigns from the ground up. to uh, uh, you know, help correct the system and support those people that are doing the work financially and in other ways. Um, it's 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 really uh, been a great thrill and honor to work with all these people in our network across the country and 13 organizations you know uh, around the world. Uh, uh, this is uh, really an important movement, and we want everybody to get involved. There's so much to do.
2: The name of the show is The Innocence Files. It debuts tomorrow on Netflix. Barry Sheck and Roger Ross Williams. Thank you for spending so much time with us today.
3: Thank Thank you,
0: you, Allison. Allison. All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Mejuri.com slash it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash